inviting you to join us. Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. This is Vincent Metzo, Dean of Discipline, Dean of Personal Training, and the man with a face for radio. <laughs> Welcome to the Physical Culture, Music, and Art Show. I'm here today with Marcus Milius. Hi, Marcus. Howdy. Good to see you today. Good to see you. Marcus has his main band, the Milkman and Sons, they do traditional blues and prohibition jazz, mixing originals with classics and serving an assortment of acoustic instruments, including vocals, harmonica, violin, guitar, bass, and drums. And Marcus is going to play for us some guitar and harmonica today. You can find him at MarcusMilius.com. That's Marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S, Milius, M-I-L. I-U-S, just one L in Milius. So, thank you so much for coming, Marcus. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's our pleasure to have you. So, what I'd like to know, Marcus, to start off is you grew up in California. Yeah. And, you know, I'm from New York, so I'm a little more familiar with the New York scene. How did you get into music and performing? Well, I would say my biggest influence was my stepfather's record collection. So he was awesome. a photographer for Warner Brothers, and he would just hang out in Warner Brothers studios, and they'd say, hey, Ben, uh, come come shoot something. So while he's hanging out waiting for gigs, they just had LPs sitting around. So my stepdad had a giant LP collection, and... um I think during the 80s, there was a lot of 1950s music, mm -hmm. like uh, Back to the Future, Stand By Me. Mm -hmm. So right, I think right. I kind of got into this old style of music, and I would save up and buy a Coasters CD, um, tape. And uh -huh. so, you know, when I was trying to buy some music, it was usually soundtracks. And then when I discovered that some of my friends were listening to the same music, like the band... The weight. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh, it's okay. It's cool to listen to my stepdad's music. And then I had this giant record collection that I could go check it, check things out. I think being able to make those choices and explore music without having to save up a bunch of money made music just so intoxicating and exciting. That's really great. I had a friend whose father worked for the New York Times so he got all sorts of free records and stuff. And that was really how, you know, we were looking for the Pink Floyd and the Zeppelin and stuff. But there was all this other stuff that we were exposed to because of that that was really awesome. So when you were growing up in L.A., what mm -hmm. kind of a scene was there for that sort of older kind of music? Or what sort of music were you into? Did you go out and see shows? or? Well, I started out in a rock band and grunge... Um 
I, you know, grunge was kind of the thing. Also, ska was really popular in Los Angeles mm-hmm. uh, at that time. This is the early 90s, late 80s. And so I guess that was this kind of the scene. But it wasn't until a little bit later that I got into the older music. But I think even grunge music being a search for something authentic. I feel like grunge right. was this, uh, although you could argue that it's not more authentic than anything else. Well, it's the reaction against the reaction, right? If punk was the reaction to prog rock, then grunge was a reaction to the commercialization of punk or something. So Exactly. Like all the 80s overproduced hair bands and, and gated reverb snare drums and uh-huh. stuff. Grunge was like this very earthy like down to the roots mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah i would Authentic, say it's like real credible yeah there's i think that's a really good point there's always some kind of punk movement whether or not it's called punk mm-hmm. it's really like bringing it back down to something more bare bones mm-hmm. to the connection to the the you know the soul for lack of a better word. yeah right then how did you get to new york um i I was traveling around the world in a relationship and following someone around. And so uh, went to several countries and uh, New York was kind of the, the compromise between our, our different uh, places where we grew up. It was the middle. So. And I, li- I like that you're calling New York a country there. <laughs> <laughs> kind of is. Really? I don't know if you did that on purpose, but <laughs> I didn't. It, it but it really makes sense. It really has been uh, a whole new country for me, definitely. <laughs> uh-huh. And what what was the scene like when you got here? Um, I thought I was going to be doing jazz, and because I studied jazz in college, um, though I don't think I was a very good. Student. And when I got to the jam sessions, I just realized, wow, I'm so not in the league for this. So I started going to blues jam sessions thinking that as a harmonica player, I'm going to kill it. Mm-hmm. And it was very clicky. And um, I think I wasn't as authentic. There is a lot of in blues being very st- into a, a particular style and, and a period. And I wasn't really in that sound. I think I was bringing a little too much jazz, mm-hmm. but I couldn't keep up with the bebop and modern jazz scene. And I thought blues would work and I got no work there. And then mm-hmm. eventually after about five or six years in New York, uh, just slugging it out, teaching harmonica mostly, I wound up with a band playing traditional jazz, New Orleans, mm-hmm. uh, acoustic music, um, you know, Django Reinhardt, a lot of that stuff. And I found for me, that was the perfect balance between blues and jazz. I can't hang with the modern stuff. I mm-hmm. just don't have the discipline, but it brings the old jazz brings the elements of blues with an extra sophistication that I really liked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, getting back to what you were saying about grunge, there's such an authenticity. There's such a feel to the, I mean, I'm sure I don't know a lot about modern jazz, mm-hmm. but the old, more blues-based jazz stuff has so much more feeling to me. Yeah. It's not cerebral. It's not intellectual. It's about the feeling right. and the being in the moment. 
And I love you call it gypsy jazz also sometimes. Where where does that come from? Well, Django Reinhardt played gypsy jazz is is specifically means uh the instrumentation. So uh-huh. it's it's American jazz that was played by Django Reinhardt in the thirties in France. And they were just simply doing ben- Benny Goodman and Louis Armstrong, but playing it on three guitars, violin and bass, no drums. So uh-huh. when they say gypsy jazz, the most literal explanation for that is that that ensemble instrumentation that uh, Django did. Mm-hmm. But it can it can mean all kinds of stuff. You right, know, people right. change it from that. It doesn't have to be that style, or it can be people playing different instrumentation, but doing the repertoire that Django recorded. Right. Right. No, I mean, a lot of that is big band, huge arrangements and instrumentation. So to real boil it down to those four pieces, exactly. those five pieces, really, really awesome stuff. So how you feel about playing something for us? Sure. Now? That sound good. Awesome. So you're listening to Physical Culture, Music and Art on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is Marcus Milius, the Milkman and Sons, and he's going to do a little number here for us in the studio. And if you want to be able to see Marcus and see the studio, I'm going to put just this first song here on Facebook Live so you can take a look there. Uh, Marcus, take it away, bud. You got me cornered and your guns are drawn. I'd like to know what my options are I can't take it when you're mad at me Babe, I take the bullet to the belly I drawn and cornered and hung sometimes Your punishment, it don't fit crimes And when you're mad, you know you act crazy Babe, I take the bullet to the belly I don't do it, I try to breathe, yes, I just cool it, you might agree. Tomorrow, when you see that there ain't no sign of me. I follow orders, yes, I walk that plane, but when I'm gone, baby, who's left to think? And these fights will be the death of me, or the bullet to the belly. Cause you might agree Tomorrow when you see That there ain't no sign of me I follow orders, yes I walk that plank But when I'm gone, baby Who's left to thank? And these fights will be the death of me Or the bullet to the belly That was awesome, Marcus Thank you Oh, thank you and I, I'm really glad you did that song also. So you were telling me before about 
what is Bullet to the Belly? And if you go on YouTube, you can look up Bullet to the Belly, but how is it spelled there? B-U-L-L-I-E-T, I think. Right. So where, where does that spelling come from? What's the uh, story of the from song? From Bullet Bourbon. That was my favorite bourbon. I'm a sucker for cool-looking bottles, and uh, I I probably should be able to tell my bourbons apart, but I'm probably not as good as I would like to think. And I love that bottle when it came out and it was, it was cheaper. So I wrote this song. I like to call it, it's a song. <laughs> I like to say it's a song about drinking and fighting with the one that you love and using alcohol to avoid um, confrontation. And mm-hmm. so it's a, a pun on a bullet to the belly is a slow death, but drinking is a slow death of a re- relationship. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I grew up in a household that uh, could probably attest to that. So I, <laughs> I hear what you're saying. But that's a, you know, great example of authenticity and, you know, really writing from and use, using a form that's authentic, but then mm-hmm. also using a subject matter that's authentic, which is really great. That video on YouTube is really a great story also. Can you tell us about how that came about? Oh, well, I have this uh, friend, Jacopo Sarno, who came to New York to take some harmonica lessons. And um, he was just turned into a good friend and uh, a fan of my music. And he'd come back every year and he could, he knew my lyrics to my songs better than I did. I'd forgotten some of them. And so he was doing a, um, a film academy thing and decide, and offered to make this video for me. So he shot it in parts of the West Village. And then he went home and shot it in Italy. Uh-huh, in Milan. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah, it, it looks great. And the song is great. And to put a story to it, that's all really wonderful. You have a gig coming up tomorrow night, right? Yes, yes. I'm playing Valentine's Day at the Gramercy Tavern, 7 to 10, with my trio, the Milkman and Sons. It'll be me on vocals, guitar, harmonica, uh, Carl Meyer on violin, and Michael Brownell on bass. Awesome. Sounds really good. So you are listening to Physical Culture Music and Art on Brooklyn Free Radio, and we're going to take a little pause here to hear from one of our sponsors at Faux Fitness Products. Big Flex. Are you tired of being the smallest guy in the office? Big Flex. Does your millennial participation trophy lack of self-esteem make you unique? Big Flex. Do you want the size of your arms to make up for the size of your Big Flex. Get Big Flex now at this special price and start your journey to a bigger, 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 you. Warning, shirts and shoes may no longer fit. Small children may stare and point and social interaction may become awkward. The ability to manipulate small objects, toileting, and activities of daily living may be impaired. Your results may vary. Brought to you by Big Flex, a division of FitFo products. All right. Those are our friends at FitFo products. So we're here with Marcus Milius on the Physical Culture, Music, and Art show. So I want to ask you a little bit about physical culture now Mm -hmm. because i know you've started exercising you're not in the fitness industry per se but exercise has played a role in your life could you tell us that story it's kind of become a priority um 
I, I, if, uh, I guess you were asking about good, good linear stories. So, <laughs> no, it doesn't so, have to be linear. It's all right. I, I started, as long as it's authentic. Oh, okay. yeah. I mean, that's all, that's all I do. Uh, I started running in high school in cross country. And I think I got into that because I used to go to the four corner States for summer camp and do backpacking. And there was something, I think my mind's maybe a little extra active and it mm-hmm. needs to slow down. And I think the walking backpacking thing was really good for me. And I knew that. And so I would run cross country and I just loved it. And it was the best part of the year. And then without the team, I would, I would just bail on it all year uh-huh. long. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would, in fact, I was so into it that whenever it was the end of the race, I'd let the other person win if they wanted to sprint. I was just like, why? Why would I? Why would I sprint hard? We just had a great race. Why would I try and beat you now? Uh-huh. You want it more than I do. Um, so I always wanted to get back to running, and I would try here and there. But uh, then I went through a divorce about six years ago, and. I would go to sleep at, you know, musician hours and then wake up maybe a half hour later. I would always wake up at 3 a.m. So Uh sometimes it'd be two hours of sleep, sometimes it'd be more. And then I would just wait until, and my mind was just racing. So, and I couldn't practice. I'd have all day to practice. And my mind was just so in such a hot white rage and confusion that I um, was listening to a podcast where Adam Carolla talked about his uh, struggles growing up. And he, and he was, he, you know, in his sarcastic waves, like, you know, if you got problems, go for a run, mm-hmm. go for a mile run. If you still have problems, go for another mile. <laughs> and so I heard that and I was like, yeah, I've, I keep trying to get into running and it keeps being, it was, I think at that time it was, um, you know, I tried not to have more than two days off in a row so I could get three or four days per week. Mm-hmm. And I would always just end up doing two days in a row and then losing it for a week. And so when I, I couldn't sleep and there was nothing to do, I would go out and run and mm-hmm. and do about three, four miles. And it didn't solve any of the problems, but it sure made everything a lot easier. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so now I've been uh, doing that I try and run pretty much every day. Cool. Do you do do you go to a gym on the days when it's, you know, all slushy and stuff like this? Or do you mainly like to run outside? I like to run outside and I will often run when it's slushy anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, when I when I'm tr- when I need the excuse, I'll I'll bail. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, there's often about an hour or two of me thinking, boy, I gotta go for this run. No, 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 I'll bail today. I'll go tomorrow. And then just finally going, you know what? I'm going to be miserable. I'm not going to enjoy my gig. Mm-hmm. Um, I better go for that run. And so running often is more of a priority than practicing now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It was interesting you said being on the team helped you do the run. Like if yeah. you didn't have to go to team practice, you would blow it off. And we were talking before we started, before we went live today, you know, the practicing and the playing music, it's, it's gotta be a shared thing. You know, you can do your own thing and practice, but eventually you need to get out there and rehearse with other people and play with other people and gig. It's kind of an interesting parallel. 
Yeah, definitely. It's, it's really helpful. I think, you know, there are periods in everybody's life where they can do things solitary and whatever that is, you know, there was mm-hmm. a lot of years where I practiced by myself in a room without gigs, just mm-hmm. hoping that I'd get a gig. And I think now I can't do that. Like I, I take any gig because it, it just helps me focus and it gets me out of there instead of making an excuse or, or ruminating or, mm-hmm. and I think in high school that was the case. It was like, what you know, do something. My mind would just go to somewhere else. And it was so helpful to have a group. Mm-hmm. Now running is kind of solitary because it's become such a, a, a priority that, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but that, it gets your mind right for doing the other thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I would be, I, w- I don't enjoy my gigs as much. I get caught up in the annoying things like the people being loud or not listening or something. Mm-hmm. If I haven't had a run, uh-huh. if I've had a run then I'm you like, can let it go. Yeah. I'm playing me in the moment. I'm and... playing music. What better job than that? And uh-huh. I don't sweat the stuff that gets under my skin. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Do you, um, you probably started off and I'm sure you've played in places where they still allow smoking inside. And I remember when we used to play, you know, it would be a haze of smoke. I mean, even before oh, yeah. we turned on the smoke <laughs> machine, there was a haze of smoke. Do you, uh, but does the running help with your endurance? Does it help with your, you know, the physicality of your playing? I think it does. Um, I would, I'm, you know, it's such, it's so much, I prioritize it for the mental health aspect. Uh-huh. So, but I originally, I started trying to get back into running it's become something that I just can't, it's such a priority now for mental health. But mm-hmm. before my thought was, wow, I do this job that I'm not going to get to retire. Mm-hmm. So I have to probably be able to do this longer than most people want to. And it is mm-hmm. a physical job. So right, I have right. to be in good shape probably longer than most people will if they are just doing a job that isn't requiring them to be physical up in past their 60s mm-hmm. so that was part of has always been part of the motivation to stay in good shape is thinking uh there's no retiring there's no uh-huh. i i have to take care of myself it's funny when you say that you know i think about keith richards and you know they're all <laughs> memes about keith richards and willie nelson but sort of the opposite side of that coin is mick jagger Oh, yeah. You know, he maybe doesn't have the genetics Keith does to keep on doing that. But um, he's able, you know, Mick actually trains, you know, he works out and he does all of these things to keep himself healthy so he can still do the stage show that he wants to do. Uh, which is just kind of interesting because we always hear about Keith and right. you know his habits, Being but we well preserved, <laughs> right? We don't necessarily hear about the the healthier side of that band. So you up for doing another one for us? Yes, that would be awesome. Marcus Milius, the Milkman and Sons, MarcusMilius.com. <laughs> Thank you. 
got so many miles behind me. I got so many miles left to go. I got so many miles behind me and so many miles left to go. I was a student, but now I'm a teacher. I was a sinner, yes, but now I'm a preacher. Well, I tried to live by example, yet I fall down. I got so many miles left to go. Yes, I do. I just want to fill the room with this because it's, you know, it's so awesome to to hear this and to be just in this small room. You know, I want you to appreciate how uh, how wonderful that really is. So can you remind us again about your Valentine's Day gig? Yes. Playing at the Gramercy Tavern from 7 until 10 p.m. Uh, with my band, the Milkman and Sons. It's uh, just a very mellow acoustic romantic setting mm-hmm. and um i think there's first come first serve in the front of the restaurant reservations in the back seven uh-huh. to ten no cover awesome and do you do three sets or do you play for three hours straight <laughs> <laughs> you know it's not a marathon oh, okay. we do get breaks and they feed us um, oh, awesome. so it'll be three forty five mm-hmm. minute sets and uh where is gramercy tavern it's that's a good question i think it's on 20th near uh-huh. union square okay it is one of the, the danny miners mm-hmm. danny myers restaurants awesome yeah. and just one other thing if you can think sure. of it how does how does the music you know we talked about how the fitness affects the music but do you find yourself writing or you know coming up with lyrics or having a rhythm or is there a way that the music and the art affects your running that's actually you know i didn't think of that that but that's a good point a lot of times i am coming up with lyrics on um uh, you know, instead of sitting in my room and ruminating and, and being angry with myself and the world as I'm running, it, it, I think I can somehow turn those bad thoughts into good songs. Uh-huh. So yeah, no, that's a good point. I do. I do, um, start a lot of songs when I'm running. Mm-hmm. Then do you run home to find a piece of paper or something? To yeah. Down a lot of times I forget it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every once in a while I'll stop and do a voice memo real quick. Uh-huh. Um, but most of the time I keep thinking, if it's a good one, I'll remember it. Right. And then oh, that's a good way to think of it. Yeah. 
and then it probably was a good one and I forgot it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, who's to say what's good? Just because yeah. you remember it doesn't necessarily right. mean it's good. Well, oh, what is your recurring gig, your every week gig? Yes, every week, every week uh, Sunday 4 to 7 at the Henry Public um, on Henry Street between Pacific and Atlantic in Cobble Hill. And it's a really nice uh, old school looking bar. It's all acoustic. We uh, have violin, bass, me on guitar, vocals, and harmonica. And we have, we've been doing it seven years and we've got a really loyal local thing. Mm -hmm. I know all the people there. I know some of the kids I've watched grow up. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a great place for parents to take their kids if Uh they want to get have have a, a nice uh, drinking session while, uh-huh. while pretending the that the kids are <laughs> exactly right. well the kids are are pretending to learn music and they're like hey that's a bass oh, cool. I'll have another beer <laughs> awesome so Marcus Milius at marcusmilius.com Gramercy Tavern tomorrow and also in Cobble Hill it was called Henry Public Henry Public Sundays and marcusmilius.com. Marcus, thank you so much for coming in to play for us, and we will hopefully be seeing you again in the near future. Great. Okay? Thanks. Thank you. This is Physical Culture, Music, and Art, streaming live on Radio Free Brooklyn. is physical culture music and art streaming live on radio free brooklyn and our next guest today is sarah curry the co-owner of physical equilibrium and a registered dietitian phys eq p-h-y-s and just the letters eq.com is her business they create mind body and spirit balance through one-on-one customized coaching Their health and fitness experts weave this philosophy into their work with clients. They're at 515 Madison Avenue on the third floor. And they work with business executives, runners, triathletes, new and expectant moms, young adults, and rehabilitation patients. Their mission is to empower clients to attain optimal health through a balance of personal training, athletic coaching, and nutrition. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. So it's interesting. Marcus was telling us that he started off uh, running track back in California. I seem to remember you started off running track also. Yes, I ran track through high school and college in Washington State. Cool. And then is that what led you to nutrition and to fitness? Or how did you end up in this field? Okay, so... When I entered college, my goal was to become a physical therapist. So I went to a college who had a, a post-bachelor's program in physical therapy. However, freshman year, I got a D in biology. <laughs> so I knew that I would have to retake biology before taking 
anatomy and physiology. So that that set me back just a little bit. So I decided, hey, let's go the business route because I could still graduate on time. And and fitness and health would be my passion, not my career. However, you know, after seven to nine years in corporate, I realized, oh, gosh, I got to I got to go back. So because all I ever wanted to do was train my coworkers or start running groups or hit the corporate gym that nobody ever used because they mm. were working all the time. So gained a little bit of weight, you know, but stopped. you kept on training throughout that. You yes. Stayed yes. Fit. And then I became certified, started training coworkers, picking up clients wherever I could and then decided at age 30 to go back to graduate school and get my master's in nutrition working as a trainer through grad school so yeah it you know it was difficult at an at an quote-unquote older age shifting Mm -hmm. careers but it's well but a lot I mean that's around 30 is the time when a lot of people you know go back and get their master's degree because they decide you know this is something that uh you know, I need to make a change or I want to go into a different field or I'm, I'm yeah. really interested in this thing and this is what I want to do. I guess it takes us a little time sometimes to figure <laughs> to figure that out. But then you are a registered dietitian, so you had to do your hospital internship and all of that stuff. What, what was that experience like for oh, you? Oh, that was so hard. The dietetic internship to become a registered dietitian is awful. It's like you're being hazed every single day by senior dietitians, by doctors. I mean, it's so hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, um, but it was worth it. And mm-hmm. it, and yeah, I had to t- go back and retake those prereqs that I didn't do well in in undergrad, and I had to get A's in order to get into graduate school. So I had some, mm-hmm. I had some redemption, but uh-huh. but it was it was so great and awful at the same time. so people don't know how hard it is to become a registered dietitian yeah and there's so much misconception about a nutritionist and uh you know a nutrition coach and there are all these different certificates that claim to be certifications and people don't really understand what dietetics is do you do you have any ideas about that or any opinions about that yes when if when you're in school in actual classes, biology, chemistry, you learn pathology and science. If you're in a certificate program, sure, you can figure out someone's calories and macronutrients, but you don't get you don't have the base, the science, the the real reason why you don't know how to understand a carbohydrate or a protein and, and digestion mm-hmm. and hormones and all that. So it's yeah, there's a huge difference between a certificate and an actual and an degree. actual degree, yeah. and then all the work you do in the hospital afterwards. Yeah, I mean, day in day out, you see ten to twenty patients a day. You learn labs, you learn electrolyte balance. I mean, and so then when you get into private practice, it's it's super easy. Mm-hmm. The you know I've talked to a lot of physical therapists and obviously a lot of personal trainers and massage therapists and stuff, and the way the medical and insurance industry is going, it seems that in a way, the more education you have and the more licensing and credentials you have, you spend more and more time filling out papers and less and less time with 
actual patients. So uh, when you were doing dietetics more strictly and in the hospital, what, what was your take on that? Did you get to have that connection with people or? Oh, no. You Let's say I got a, a consult for a newly diagnosed diabetic. I, I would get maybe 10 to 15 minutes with them to try to explain what was happening to them and how to make lifestyle changes. And then I would leave them with a handout. That's mm -hmm. not enough. You need 45 to 60 minutes on the in the first meeting just to gather information on their life and their schedule and educate them on what happens in your body when you eat a carbohydrate and why your blood sugar is high. So it was it was difficult and bad. I felt awful half the time when mm -hmm. I had to leave a, a room to get to my next patient to meet my quota for the day because mm -hmm. you, you had to see a certain number of, of patients. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so it was hard. Did that weigh into your decision for starting PhysiQ or for doing, you know, you were continuing with your personal training in graduate school, but how did this, when did you have this idea of what this business would be? The plan all along was to go into private practice. Um, I, I've always wanted to have my own training and nutrition company or business, Luckily, I have an amazing business partner who already had the training company, Physical Equilibrium. I was working for her as a trainer when I was in graduate school. And then she kept, but she didn't bug me, but she kept saying, hey, <laughs> leave the hospital, come full time. Let's figure this out. And I said, oh, you know, it's it's hard going from a, an institution where you get a regular paycheck into self-employment where you're hustling for every single hour to pay your rent. Um but luckily, we we worked it out. I mean, we're still hustling. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm here today, aren't I, marketing the company? Right, right. <laughs> um, but she and I figured it out. So we built and are still building, a, you know, training and nutrition company where people can get all their health care and wellness needs met. And you guys started off going to people's houses mainly, and now you have your own space? Well, she actually started out at New York Sports, excuse me, New York Sports Club years ago. She realized that she hit a ceiling there, so she started her own company as herself, leasing space from a gym. Mm -hmm. um, brought me on a few years later, and we so we leased space out of a gym for a number of years, and then we finally got it together to get our own space. I mean, but that was after eleven to fourteen years. That's, uh -huh. that's how long uh -huh. it took us to. To find. Well, and you're also in Manhattan, right? Exactly. So that's always Yeah, difficult. and we were lucky to partner with an MD, a physiatrist, um, Dr. Weiss of Weiss Wellness, who had the same... www.weisswellness.com. Weiss um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the website. <laughs> that's a lot of W yeah. as well. <laughs> uh, but we had the same vision in terms of, you know, diagnose and treat, balance your body, train to transform. Mm -hmm. Pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Right. How would you say, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. How would you say that what you're doing at PhysiQ is different than what somebody could get at a New York sports club or with a trainer who just works for themselves? I like to think about it as how are they different than us? Uh-huh. We, we do traditional good strength training. I mean, you can't load your body with weights on an unbalanced structure or an, or an injured structure. So for example, if you want to bench press heavy, you have to have a strong rotator cuff. I see too many trainers 
thinking that they have to destroy someone in the first session just so they'll leave feeling wiped out and sore. And why does the client think they have to get totally beat up to have a good workout? You need to first teach someone how to recruit the muscles. You need that mind to muscle connection before you can actually use the muscle properly. So I learned to lift in the nineties and it really hasn't changed much. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you mean it, we haven't grown new muscles or we don't have <laughs> gills yet? We haven't. Uh... I read an article years ago and he said something like, look, if you want a big, a bigger chest, you bench press. If you want nicer legs and glutes, you squat. And it hasn't changed. I don't see good lifting anymore. Mm-hmm. So we, so they are different than us. That's how mm-hmm. I like to look at it. Because they're standing on the BOSU juggling kettlebells. Yes. And you guys are doing the, the principles, the foundation, yes. the basic stuff you, to build people up. Yeah, you can do all that stuff. You can go into a, a high-intensity interval training class after you're strong and balanced. That way you won't get hurt. We, we have too many clients who get hurt in classes like that. Mm-hmm. So we, we actually offer classes as well. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about your classes. So, for example, we have a class called Basic Strength. So you learn how to recruit your glutes. You learn how to tap into your core. You learn shoulder stability, rotator cuff strength. And that can then lead you into one-on-one training. Or maybe if you go into a Barry's boot camp, you're going to know what to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we have something called Lift Club where we teach the core lifts. So basic strength is a good leadway into Lift Club because you can't really squat if you don't know how to recruit your glutes or... Keep your knees from, you know, wing, you know, pinching in on a squat. Mm-hmm. So our classes complement personal training and they're also safe and you don't get injured. Mm-hmm. So, and we even we even even have yoga classes and our instructors know what to do if someone has a rotator cuff tear or a low back disc herniation. So they know how to modify and correct rather than, you know, a big class with 40 people that the teacher just can't mm-hmm. fix or pay attention to. How, from a business perspective, what, if you don't mind saying, what percentage of revenue streams have you seen a shift from one-on-one training to the small groups or from the small groups to the one-on-one, or is it pretty much equal in your business? So in our business, we thought that when we opened our space, our one-on-one training clients would want to do more of the classes. Mm Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem to be that way. Our our bread and butter revenue still comes from one-on-one training, and it's a very high percentage of our total revenue. We are trying to get our classes busier and, you know, have higher attendance. But then again, we've only been open at that location a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. So as, well, as you know or don't know, it takes a good one to three years to get a studio going and busy and get the word out. Mm-hmm. Um we're also in Midtown, so there's a lot of competition. Also, I yeah, competition, but also maybe people who commute in don't live around there, or if they do live around there, no one's going to walk from Third Ave to Madison to take a class. It's just mm-hmm. it's New York; nobody wants to go very far. Um, so, but so yes, we we we're lucky that we have a high revenue from one-on-one training still, while we can get our classes going. Awesome. This is Radio Free Brooklyn, Physical Culture, Music, and Art, and we're speaking with Sarah Curry, co-owner, co-owner of Physical Equilibrium and registered dietitian. We're going to talk to Sarah more about dietetics and some of the things that are out there in the media that maybe we wish weren't, 
But first, we're going to hear from our sponsors at Popro Protein. Popro Protein. You eat, you supplement, you pre workout and you post workout, but you still feel inadequate in the locker room. Popro Protein. Do the other bros make a bigger stink than you? Maybe it's not how much you eat. Maybe it's the quality of your protein. Popro Protein. If you're going to go beast mode, crush it, and drain like an animal, you need to mark your territory. Dominate that locker room. Make it smell like a zoo. Popro Protein. The new supplement for social competitors, crossfitters, bros, and frat boy date rapists. Popro Protein. Our patented extra nitrogen mix makes you a beast when pumping the iron and pumping the porcelain. Bring a tear to the eye of your competition. Popro Protein. Popro Protein is a division of FitFo products. Should not be used with alcohol, amphetamines, narcotics, or opioids. Once a week, bowel movements are common. Should a bowel movement or workout last longer than two hours, consult your physician. Popro Protein. And once again, those are our sponsors at FitFo Products. So, Sarah, I know that a couple weeks ago you were on Channel 5, and you were talking about the celery cleanse Mm -hmm. and so first off you know when you study biology and all of this stuff you and anatomy realize well we have these things called the kidneys and we have this thing called the liver and you know cleansing is something that we don't really need help with in terms of that but what uh what was this grape uh not grapefruit sorry celery cleanse and what what were you on there for so I actually had not heard of the celery cleanse, or I like to say craze, mm-hmm. until the week before a, a client had come in and said, she said, should I drink celery juice? And I said, why? Why would you? Do you like celery juice? Yeah. I said, <laughs> well, you can if you want, but it's not going to really help you get any leaner because I know that's where this conversation is headed. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally the hour after that, I had a phone call and an email from a producer at Channel 5 whom my business partner knew, um, asking if I would like to be on Good Day New York to talk about the celery juice thing. Is it a craze or are there actual health benefits? I said, sure, I would love to. So it the, the celery juice thing or cleanse was started by some guy named the Medical Medium. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, he's really promoting it on social media and people are claiming that it has solved all their problems and changed their lives. I mean, back, you know, I remember, first off, there's that story of the emperor's new suit. But then there were also these people called snake oil salesmen, <laughs> right? And they would roll into town and set up. And there's this logical fallacy of popularity. And because something's popular, it it must work. Or because somebody is popular, they must know what they're doing. Or what they're talking about. Exactly. And I think people looking for a quick fix would like to believe that. So they'll try mm-hmm. it. Silver bullet, quick fix. Uh-huh. Right. And it, it there's so many in the last six to 12 months I can name off the top of my head that were similar. Mm-hmm. Um, Special patented elixir. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and they're actually, a tra- a, one of our trainers asked me a few weeks ago if, I, if I'd heard of the snake diet. And I said, mm. <laughs> so... <laughs> My first thought was, oh, snake oil, somebody selling snake oil. Um, Yeah, so these things are, they're always around. It's just, what are, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, as a as a business owner, owner, as a sole proprietor, as somebody who is trying to get clients, you know, put themselves out there. I've gone on radio shows, I've gone and done interviews, and I I feel dirty because I'm like, you guys realize this isn't science. You know, you you're asking me to say long, lean Hollywood muscles. And what I want to say is, does playing basketball make you tall? <laughs> right? You would it would be ridiculous to think that going and playing basketball is going to make you grow four inches. But somehow people think if they do bar class or they train like a ballerina, that they're going to look like a ballerina. Uh-huh. Like those people didn't already have the genetics that made them look that way. It wasn't the training exactly. that made them look that way. But what, what was your you know sort of emotional experience of being in that situation? Maybe, maybe you didn't feel it the way I feel it. But um, if you don't mind talking about that. No, things like this make me so angry and upset because I am so passionate about science and health and the truth. So there is a mindset or craze out there about people looking for the next quick fix. Nothing is a quick fix. So if if you saw the TV spot, the the woman I was on there with, the fashion um, blogger, she said a plus size plus size model lost four sizes just from drinking mm-hmm. celery juice. And, and I'm sorry, you know that's first off a confusion of correlation versus cause and effect. You know, maybe there were other things going on in her life that caused her to drink celery juice and caused her to lose weight, or maybe losing weight caused her to drink celery juice. I mean, it's just so backwards and convoluted. Yeah, too many too many variables. Variables. I mean, perhaps getting up early and drinking celery juice made her eat better the rest of the day. Or maybe it encouraged her to move around a little bit more and burn some calories. Mm-hmm. Um, but but one thing is not going to make somebody drop four sizes. It's, it's mm-hmm. just not. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when I watched that, I was also like, okay, here is like a fashion intern blogger. And here's somebody with an actual degree and license in dietetics. Uh, you know, one of these things is not like the other. Just because you drank celery juice, I keep on wanting to say grapefruit juice, but <laughs> that we'll, was we'll save fact. that for the next time you're on this <laughs> on the show. Uh, you know, just because somebody drank celery juice for 19 days doesn't make them an expert. I mean, I I've had a bowel movement for 19 days in a row. I'm not a gastroenterologist. But if you had 1.5 million followers on Instagram, you probably could be right. Right. And then I'd get the T-shirt I pooped today and, you know, I'd make lots of money on it. So, yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about that, that interaction or that situation? I mean, I'm sure you'd go on the news again because we want to get out there. But do you find it frustrating that we're like forced or not allowed to speak the truth? Yeah, I I, I was I was a little bit surprised and baffled, and I thought we would talk more about the science. And you know, I did get to say celery is good; it has vitamins and minerals and fluid, and but it's not it's not what the media is claiming. It does not cure medical diseases like shingles and autoimmune disorders and mental health. It, so that's what the claims are out there. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. that's where what I had the biggest problem with. Right, right. 
well, you, you looked wonderful on the show. It was great, but it is, you know, I, I felt for you watching it because <laughs> it's like, wow, well, now we just have to pretend that these people have a say. And it goes, it's very similar to climate science. It's like, okay, here are all these experts saying this, and there's a difference between weather and climate. But because somebody says, oh, it's cold today, there's not global warming, all of a sudden their opinion, because of their position, makes sense, despite what the experts say and this preponderance of evidence says. I I did say, because they did ask me what I thought about celery juice and I said, look, if in a few years you gather data and you do some studies and I'm wrong, fine. I'll mm-hmm. I'll own up to that. But I mm-hmm. need some evidence. I need some proof. Right. And, uh, right. Turn on a dime. Show me the evidence yeah. and I'll change my thinking. Yeah. So you've been in the fitness industry for 20 years. Oh, goodness. I became certified in 2003 as a trainer. Okay, so about 15 years and you were running track and mm-hmm. you were involved in being physical for a long time. How have you seen the industry change? So when you started off, what were you doing? What were you seeing in the gym? And what are you seeing now? So when I, when I started, I, I guess luckily I fell into the right hands. I mean, in high school weightlifting class, they, we were taught how to squat and push, you know, push, pull. Um, ironically, they wouldn't let women deadlift or girls back then deadlift. So I still want to, but they'd let you squat. Yeah. So I I want to hunt down my high school PE teacher and tell him I can deadlift 200 on a good day um, (laughs) at age 40. Um, But so I, I came into traditional weightlifting Um, while running track in the nineties. I was taught how to, you know, clean and jerk. Um, We knew it made us fast. We, we lifted heavy and hard. Um, And then after that, I remember physical therapy sort of coming into training. You know, this this mm. word I learned called functional training. So the Bo- the BOSU, the, the Swiss ball, they j- just started moving around and doing more functional things, which I, I understand. But that seemed to me to be a, a trend. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of went away. Um, there's always some sort of trend or new thing, but I've known all along you can't reinvent the wheel. You just... You just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, now, mobility is kind mm-hmm. of a buzzword, which is, I believe in that for sure. You can't squat deep if your hips aren't open and you can't have a good pull or then press. again, if you squat deep, your hips are open. Yeah. Uh, I mean, squatting could be a pathway to mobility. Oh, for sure. No figure. For sure. Um, so, but I've seen it morph into what is the, 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 what is the next hot, hottest, greatest, quickest thing that can get me the body that I want? Mm-hmm. Um, hit high interval intensity right. training, right? That's a trend and it has its place for sure. But if you take a sedentary person and throw them into a hit class, they're likely to get injured or not recruit muscles properly or promote some imbalance. Um, so I've, I've just seen the industry change and morph into this craze like mm-hmm. all these studios all, uh, um studios became popular what a year or two ago like the boutique small mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. so there's yeah maybe even longer than that yeah. but you know it is fairly recent it yeah. is the new reaction against yeah. the big box gyms. so there's bar class there's spin class there's um boxing um 
yoga's always been there. So there's all these different studios. There's still the, the gyms. Equinoxes has great classes. Um, so there's a craze of let's, let's jump around from class to class. Your nervous, mm-hmm. your nervous system never gets a chance to adapt or be on some kind of a, a progressive program. Right. That um, whole idea of, you know, they coined it with P90X of muscle confusion. Oh, mm-hmm. People think that randomness is a substitute for variety. So yes. there's a difference between variety and randomness, mm-hmm. but people jump around to all these different things without precision, progression, and then variety. And then they wonder why they don't lose weight or their bodies don't change. So then they go on a diet or a cleanse and they think if they move around and hit two to three classes a day and don't eat, that that's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. But not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Everyone's different. Right, right. And they're probably hangry and not that pleasant to be around. Anyway, yeah, and but. you mentioned bar mm-hmm. classes earlier. I see women hitting bar classes five days a week. Mm-hmm. And if genetically they aren't... And then do they go and audition for ABT or <laughs> Joffrey or anything? or uh, Do they get the job? <laughs> not usually. I, I mean... I, it's the chubby girls chasing the dream. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but they're not going to look like a skinny ballerina or, and they're not going to get lean and toned. Certain mm-hmm. body types need to lift heavy and break down that muscle. So then they will get smaller and leaner, but people still think you get big from weight training. Mm-hmm. And, well, you get tall from playing basketball. Exactly. I mean, I watch the Knicks, you know, twice a week and those guys are all tall. Right. And so. I'm, yeah. And I'm going to get, Super skinny from Pilates. I just mm-hmm. am. Yeah, that's how it <laughs> works. So you've been doing this for a while, and I know you used to train people at the lift. Yep. On was that fifty seventh yep. or fifty ninth? Uh, we were at Lift Gym, fifty seventh and Lex. Mm-hmm. So what? Uh, I give you sort of two choices here. Sure. What? is the craziest thing you've heard a trainer say to their client or what is your main pet peeve with trainers? Okay. This ties into nutrition, but one time I heard a trainer say to his client who I knew was a type one diabetic, you should do fasted cardio. And the client (laughs) said, the client said, what's fasted cardio? He said, you know, cardio in the morning on an empty stomach. And I'm like, you want to kill your client? He has type one diabetes. (laughs) Um, so that's probably the number one thing that stands out in my mind that I'll never forget. Awesome. Sarah Curry, registered dietitian, co-owner of PhysEQ.com. They're at 515 Madison Avenue, www.PhysEQ.com. And Sarah, thank you very much for joining us today. And we hope to have you back soon. Mm-hmm.